Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am thrilled to have you with us today because I don't play favorites with my guests, but if I did, Josh Dekel and his wife, Rebecca, might be very, very high on that list. I really love what they do. I love what they stand for and the way that they live their principles. And Josh has a brand new book out that I am crazy about. It's called Kiss the Ground, How the Food You Eat Can Reverse Climate Change, Heal Your Body, and Ultimately Save Our World. And I am thrilled to have him on. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, Josh. Joe, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's been too long. The last time we had you on, I think it was five years ago, and we were talking about your movie, The Big Fix, the untold story of the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which I still recommend to high school students that I work with uh, as one of my favorite documentaries. But congratulations on your new book, Kiss the Ground. Um I love the way that it's written. There's a lot of great stories. You interviewed so many amazing people. But I'd love to have you begin by telling us the story of how you met the French Minister of Agriculture in Paris and what you learned from him about the carbon sequestration capacity of soil. Wow. Well, the the amazing events that happened around COP21 uh, were both harrowing and uh, wonderful you know, harrowing in that France had just experienced that terrible, you know, shooting that had occurred. And so months before that, the French Ministry of Agriculture had said, we are going to make an announcement about sequestering carbon dioxide, actually pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and putting it back in the soil. And it's going to be revolutionary. It's literally going to change the way people think about climate change. Now, the announcement was on a French website, you know, French Ministry of Agriculture, you know, in this website, within a website. Within, so you really had to look for it. But within the soil world, there were murmurs that this guy, Stéphane Le Foll, was going to do something bold. So, I, 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 you know, our team just worked overtime, you know, really 24 hours a day, trying to figure out how to get to this guy. And somehow um, I had met a French journalist at a garbage dump, I kid you not, <laughs> in San Francisco, we were both covering the compost beat. And uh, she was the only real connection I had. So I called her up and I said, Anne, is there any way you can get us to the French Ministry of Agriculture? And it's kind of like for them, you know, Stéphane Le Foll writes a lot of the speeches that the president, you know, gives of France. So she, she goes, you're basically asking me to get to the second person to the president of France. And I said, yes, can you do it? And she said, yes. And somehow, miraculous things happened. And even in the middle of a terrorism crisis, we got French dip, dip, diplomat approval, um, a, you know, a diplomatic visa to go to France and literally trail the French Minister of Agriculture. I got to, I got to go to the French White House. Um, it, it, was, it was an incredible experience. You know, I almost got run over by the, the, the president's motorcade of security <laughs> guards. Um, but, but what happened was we ended up being the only embedded American journalists in this huge international announcement that France made called the Four for 1000 Agreement, which we cover in the Kiss the Ground book, kissthegroundbook.com. And Basically, 
France has a plan to reverse climate change using soil. And they made that announcement. And no other American journalists were in the room. Wow, that is incredible. The life you live, Josh, I swear, you, <laughs> you, you get some amazing interviews and access. Now, we all know that the ocean has been a very hardworking and probably overburdened carbon sink on the earth. And I'd love for you to talk to us about how that burden on the ocean has impacted marine life. And you make this really cool point that I'd never heard before. It relates to an issue that we all really need to care about, and that is the air that we breathe. Help us understand that. So here is the big thing that the climate movement has missed up until today, and it's a, it's a, it's a huge and shocking realization. The ocean is the default sink for carbon dioxide. So as we load the atmosphere with CO2, much of that CO2, as much as possible, the ocean absorbs, right? There, there's right. only real three, really three sinks for, for carbon dioxide. The oceans, the land, and, of course, the terrestrial things on the land. So trees, things like that, right? And, right. and you can't really consider the atmosphere a sink. That's more like the place where we put it. So of those three sinks, the default, the way the Earth works, the biogenic default is the oceans. As oceans absorb CO2, oceans acidify. The creatures that get hit with that acidification the first are the most delicate life forms. And in the ocean, the most delicate life forms are the corals and specifically the phytoplankton. Phytoplankton make 50% of the oxygen we breathe. So as the oceans acidify, we're seeing a reduction in phytoplankton around the world. Scientists are worried that within three or four decades, maybe five decades, we could have a a massive die-off of phytoplankton. That's the oxygen we breathe. So while we're all very concerned about polar bears and ice caps melting and all of those things are, are extremely concerning, the most pressing threat is that we would lose the ecosystem that provides half of our oxygen. That's half of humanity's oxygen that we breathe every day. The way to solve that problem is simple. We take the CO2 out of the atmosphere, we allow the oceans to release that CO2, and in so doing, the acidification stops and it reverses. We can stabilize the ocean ecosystems. We can do that. But we need to utilize the other big sink. Remember I said three sinks, right? Oceans, the plants, including the trees, and the soil. So if we utilize the power of the soil to absorb the CO2 globally, which is what the French Minister of Agriculture was talking about, the plan that he unveiled, how to do this. And it's the plan we talk about in the Kiss the Ground book, kissthegroundbook.com. We can actually reverse the acidification of the oceans, stabilize the phytoplankton, ensure that we have oxygen into the future, and then we can deal with all of those other big problems. But unless we deal with the acidification of the oceans, we are in grave danger of running out of the actual air that we breathe. See, and this is something that honestly, I'm, okay, I've been doing Go Green Radio for nine years, almost nine and a half years, and we have talked about what I thought was every issue under the sun when it came to the impact of climate change and the impact of ocean acidification. But you're the first one to go beyond coral, beyond marine life and, and fish food um, and talk about this issue. And my mind is blown. Now, let's get to the solution. You have a term in the book, 
kiss the ground called regenerative agriculture. Talk to us about what that means and how it could impact the balance of carbon on the planet. Great. So imagine for a moment the scope, the scale of agriculture that we have on Earth. Right now, we have 5 billion hectares that we are doing agriculture on worldwide. About a third of that is dedicated to crops. Two-thirds of that is dedicated to rangeland, meaning land that animals range, land that's really not even suitable for growing crops, right? Mm-hmm. The first thing to understand about global agriculture is since 1980, we have reduced the arable land on Earth by 33%, by one-third. So in 1980, there was a third more land that we could do agriculture on. 20 years before that, there was quite a bit more. And if we go back to the beginning of the quote-unquote green revolution, the chemical GMO revolution, there was much more arable land. There were also a lot less people. So since 1950, what we've done is we've essentially reduced the arable land on Earth by at least 50%, and we've increased the world population by 50%. Those two curves are on a collision course because there is a maximum amount that you can pump out of an acre using chemicals and GMOs, and we've reached that threshold. Yes, we're increasing a little bit every year, but we're not increasing very much compared to how much inputs we're putting on the land. So we're adding tremendous, tremendous amounts more nitrogen, you know, ammonium nitrate. Uh, we're mm-hmm. adding tremendous amounts more chemicals to get that little tiny increase in calories. We've reached it. We've maxed it out. The problem is we're stripping away the arable land and we're radically increasing the population. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out what happens when you double population and you continue to half the amount of land available, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has to eat. That's not a good scenario. Right. So, that, so we need to design a system of agriculture that doesn't just sustain where we're at soil-wise, because sustaining where we're at is not sustainable. It's not going to feed 10 billion people. We need to design a system of agriculture that actually builds soil back. We need to regenerate soil in order to have more food for more people. We need to regenerate soil also to suck the CO2 out of the atmosphere. And remember, Earth's natural systems had a lot more healthy soil. So regenerative agriculture is a simple system of agriculture, very simple, very inexpensive, doable anywhere agriculture is being done now at scale that actually builds soil through building soil carbon. And the way it works is very simple. You don't till. So very, very little tillage or no till. That's the first thing. You use cover crops between and even during planting. So the soil is never bare. It's always covered with a crop. Okay, That's very Mm -hmm. important because photosynthesis brings the carbon into the soil. We don't want the soil to be bare. When the soil is bare, it releases carbon into the atmosphere. So no-till, cover crops, using compost or animals, Okay, meaning not synthetic fertilizers, which kill the microbes in the soil, but natural fertilizers. Also, legumes can be used in circulation, so we're always adding nitrogen back into the soil as we take it out with our crops. And then the last aspect is really planting trees, planting trees in between fields, planting trees around fields, creating buffers so the wind and the water doesn't erode that soil, and creating deep, deep, deep roots so that all the roots are intertwined. That's it. Those are the four principles. It's very cheap. And what, what, what we're seeing globally is 
because when these principles are done, even with traditional agriculture, even with monocrops like corn and soy, these, these terrible monocrops that, that are around our, our entire country, when these principles are done, the soil gets healthier, production goes up, production actually increases, Wow! and the ecosystem sustains. So we see more pollinators, more birds, more insects, more microbes. You're keeping the life that is so critical to sustaining the crop, you're keeping that life rather than killing it off. So th- those well, are the four principles. That's and it. it's really Sorry. cool because I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about before on Go Green Radio is that our soil is, well, for lack of a better term, um, you know, it's it's not as nutritious. Uh, you know, the food that's coming out of it is not as nutritious as food that, you know, would come out of the kind of soil you're talking about. Um and so by replenishing the soil with nutrients, we're also um, going to be creating more nutritious food than we're currently getting. And that's pretty exciting. Now, one of the things that you cover in the book is this issue of the desertification of soil um, and how that is happening in so many places of the world and the connection to world peace. You talk about this connection between, you know, soil that's becoming desert, the lack of food and violence and terrorism. Help us make that connection. Well, let's let's look at Syria, Jill, for, for as an example. Because really, you know, Syria, we see Syria and the Syrian refugee crisis as a result of civil war, okay? And, and how many Syrian refugees do we have? Two million, three million, maybe four million at the, at the most, right? Certainly no more than five million, and definitely not as many as ten million. Now, if it's just a result of civil war, that is a political situation. But if we peel back and we go back a few years before Syria's civil war, what we see is that average rainfall in that area dropped below 8 inches. Now, 8 inches we consider to be about the minimum needed to sustain agriculture, right? So when that, when that yearly annual rainfall dropped below 8 inches, now you don't think of Syria as an ag- agrarian economy, but primarily it was an agrarian society. The farmers drilled deeper and deeper wells, none of it worked, you know, they were able to suck a little bit more from the aquifers, literally hundreds and hundreds of acres of animals died, like dead-in-the-dust animals, okay? So they had a massive migration. Millions of people migrated into into the cities. The country literally was destabilized in a very short period of time, unable to feed its people. What happens when a country is destabilized? It's unable to feed its people. And it happens to exist sort of in the nexus of all of these other very, very, very violent regimes, including terrorist regimes. It's an open door. It's an open yeah. door for madmen or terrorists or, or, or violent people to come in and try and wrest control, and that's exactly what happened. So average people like you and me, if we would have lived in that environment, we would have had to have left, and that's what the Syrian refugee crisis is about. It's not about a civil war. It's not really even about terrorism. If you dig below the root cause is desertification, a man-made destruction of the underlying soil resource. 
Wow. And that's, you know, I think for a lot of people, that is a real revolution to understand. It's about people's tummies, you know, it's about food and and what the basic things that people need. Um, And it's not necessarily the story that's told on cable news, is it, Josh? (laughs) Um, I think I think some of these things that we're dealing with, you know, in the in the sustainability world, like you deal with here on the show and your listeners, your your amazing listeners are dedicated to, to looking at, we are moving from a time of very reductionist thinking, you know, where everything had mm-hmm. a chemical or a, there was a widget, you know, there was a way to fix nature, a, a pill to fix a problem, so to speak, to a time where we're really looking at biology and yes. understanding the layers of complexity of life. And that's a holistic mindset. So, you know, our media, not you, uh, there's a lot of great, you know, great media covering this, but a lot of our media is geared toward that take a pill to fix it mindset. That's right. Well, we're going to take a quick, quick commercial break, and then we'll have much more with Josh. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Josh Takel. He's got a brand new book out called Kiss the Ground. It's about to be released as a film as well. And I'm really excited for that. Um, Josh, tell us just a little bit about what to expect with the film coming up. When's it going to be out? Well, that's that's the uh, million-dollar question. When's the film coming out? It will come out sometime (laughs) next year. We're hoping for Earth Day. Let's see what happens. Awesome. Well, good luck with that. Now, your book gives a fascinating history lesson about how World War II had such a profound impact on how we eat. And again, you do this all the time with everything you produce. You blow my mind with concepts that I've never heard anybody else reveal. You know, a lot of our listeners are college students, and they will often tweet me or email me questions like, how did this happen? How did we get here? And those questions pertain to everything from lagging infrastructure to how certain chemicals were ever allowed to be sold to the public. So for our listeners who are wondering how modern agricultural practices came to be, give us an overview, Josh. Well, the, the, basic, the basic infrastructure that we eat from today was really developed during World War II. And there's a, there's a chapter in the Kiss the Ground book called Nazis and Nitrogen. And I've, I've gotten some flack for this, by the way. But the funny thing is, none of the flack has had to do with the facts in the book. It's just that people don't like any time you say Nazis, they go, oh, conspiracy theory. <laughs> but, but the reality was, after World War II, what happened was, all of the chemical engineering that Nazi Germany had done so even the gases that they used in the gas chambers, the, the gas called Zyklon B, for instance, all of that chemical engineering came back to the United States. And what it met with, with was this huge infrastructure that we as United States, we as Americans had created. We built the machines. So we, we were really good at tanks. We were really good at bombs. We were really good at artery, uh, uh, artillery. sorry, and, and so here we have this chemical knowledge this heretofore unexistent chemical knowledge, meeting with this incredible machinery knowledge. And when those two things fused after the war, what was created was the modern agricultural industrial complex. Because the push was on to grow more food for more people. And so what we saw after 1950, after 1948, after the world war ended, is this radical increase in the use of farm chemicals, which 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 parallels this radical increase in the use of farm machinery and petroleum. And that's when we started splitting up the crops and we said, okay, you're you're better at growing soybeans, you just grow soybeans. Don't have cows, just do soy. Oh, let's just do corn over here. Let's split everything up. Let's make it very efficient. And nobody thought about what the future implications were. But essentially, we built a food machine based on a war machine. Unbelievable. And and talk to us a little bit about the, the human health implications of our current agricultural model, particularly as it impacts children, because they are so vulnerable to some of the, the chemicals and some of the um, processes that are involved in our current agricultural system. I, I think the, the biggest misnomer, and we continue to see this today, that we continue to see the agricultural chemical companies telling us, no, no, that's safe. That one's safe. It biodegrades in sunlight. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's photoreactive. Just, just spray it in sunlight and it'll just go away. 
That's what they say about all of the harshest chemicals. Okay. Now, this is an, this is an industry that, again, was built... Zyklon B, the chemical that I mentioned, that was used in the gas chambers, that was one of the first pesticides used in mm. the United States. So, you know, straight from the gas chambers, where a chemical is designed to kill people, to the farm fields, where it is designed to kill pests. The problem is, when you spray these chemicals onto food, they do not biodegrade. There is no evidence, no substantial evidence, that they do biodegrade. In fact, there are 200 peer-reviewed studies that show one of the main courses, if not the primary cause, of ADHD, Hodgkin's lymphoma, ADD, pediatric cancer, and a host of other childhood diseases is the pesticides in our food. Mm. And, and these, are from, these are from serious scientific organizations, uh, children's health hospitals, um, major universities. These are not rogue, renegade, you know, greenies tr- shouting about DDT being sprayed on everything. DDT, right. by the way, its use ended in the late 1970s. Jill, the bad news is you and I, we actually carry DDT in our blood. All oh. of us, every American has DDT in their blood still to this day. So these chemicals are toxic. They bioaccumulate in our fat tissues, and they most affect young people, specifically children. Mm-hmm. And this can be multi-generational because it, like you said, it's bioaccumulative. Now, it, you yeah. know, and, and, and I'll just I'll say one more you thing bet. if you don't mind about that. Um, it, not only is it bioaccumulative, and, and I, I hate to give people this bad news, and I don't mean to scare people, but this is the reality that we face. It's, it's epigenetic. So an epigenetic trait is one that is inherent in your body but is turned on by environmental factors. Mm -hmm. And so the number one environmental factor that we're exposed to now, three pounds per American per year, toxic pesticides. Mm -hmm. So epigenetics are transgenerational, meaning if your epigenetic trait gets turned on in your body and then you have a child, that transgenerational trait, even though it's epigenetic, can get passed on to your child. Hence the fact that we are seeing a skyrocketing amount of cancers in the United States today. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't know someone close to them who hasn't been impacted by cancer. You know, and and, and the human health impact of our current agricultural system is, uh, the, the evidence is mounting. And of course, the environmental impact is immense. And we could talk about so many aspects of it. But I'd really like for you to talk to us about what it takes to continuously produce the fertilizers, the pesticides, and the herbicides that are used. What's going on? to keep those, those chemicals on our plants, on our food. Yes, it is, uh, you know, and this is, again, a big portion of Kiss the Ground, the book. I don't want to leave listeners with the idea that this is a problems without solutions book. This is a book with solutions. Um, but we do discuss the problems because you can't solve problems unless you understand them. One of the biggest issues that we have in the United States, I'll just select one of the things that you listed, is synthetic fertilizers, ammonium nitrate. Most people don't know where ammonium nitrate comes from. Nitrogen is in the atmosphere, and so we pull it out of the atmosphere to make ammonium nitrate. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an okay idea. The problem is we need natural gas to do it. So what we do is we frack for natural gas. About 50% of our natural gas is from fracked wells. 
We, that fracked natural gas turns into fertilizer. We put that fertilizer on our crops. The crops only get about 30% of that fertilizer. That's the uptake. 70% runs off, 70, 70%, runs off into our lakes, our streams, our rivers, and into the Gulf of Mexico, and into the California coast and the East Coast as well. That's why we have these massive dead zones around our coasts, because we're growing crops like corn, which require the use of tremendous amount of synthetic fertilizers for which we have to frack for. Now, here's the bad news. The fracking creates a tremendous amount of wastewater. That wastewater is required to be re-injected into wells. Those yes. wells then pick up and spray the water onto our crops. So we're literally, we're literally killing the land and toxifying the food in multiple ways just to do synthetic fertilizer. Meanwhile, over every acre of land are literally tons of fertilizer in the air. And that fertilizer can be put onto the land through legumes, through animals, and through cycling things like compost. Very simple, very effective, very cheap methods. And that's what we're going to get to. We're going to get to the solution section of the show after this quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And just a reminder... 
Go Green Radio is just a sliver of a piece of a, of a much larger organization. In 2002, I started a nonprofit organization called the Go Green Initiative. It's an environmental education program that's working with schools in all 50 states and in 73 countries around the world to help them do two things. First of all, conserve natural resources for future generations. And secondly, to protect children's health from environmental pollutants. And Go Green Radio is just one extension of that organization. If you'd like to get involved, go to gogreeninitiative.org and join in the conversation. Everything that we do to help schools is free, um, and we would love to have you as part of that network. Uh, we are joined today by Josh Tekel, who is a dad himself and very committed to protecting children's health from environmental pollution as well. Um, and we are talking about his brand new book called Kiss the Ground. And I urge you to pick up this book. You are going to be so inspired by a very new way of looking at the things that we can do as individuals and a society to bring about the kind of world that we want to live in, where we reduce the impact of climate change, heal our bodies, save our world. Josh, you have a chapter in the book that's entitled Meet the Regenitarians. (laughs) Tell us about some of the people that you met who are working to create regenerative agricultural practices that can be scaled. Well, one of the one of the interesting things uh, about regenerative regenerative agriculture is that you know there there are different people at at all different levels working on this. So there are people at the restaurant level, grocery store level, agricultural level, policy level. This is it quickly coalesced into a movement. That's why I always say join the movement. You know, join, kiss the ground, buy the book, get the, join the movement. Um, What's what's fascinating about some of the people that I met, you know, I got to meet Maria Rodale, who whose father really, uh, grandfather really created the idea of organic food in the United States, and she took me through the history of the organic movement, and so you know part of what I do in the book in Kiss the Ground, the book KissTheGroundBook.com, is I give you an a real history because. Uh, so many of us don't, you know, we just see an organic label in the store and we go, well, I think that's better. I'm not sure why or how. And, uh, you know, I went back, I really investigated the, the rise of organic, even before organic permaculture, before permaculture, all the way back to Rudolf Steiner, and then fast forward to today. And really, there are very few restaurants that are truly doing full regenerative menus because very few places even know that this exists. You know, the idea that we can build back our soil, sequester carbon dioxide, make more nutritious food, this is a brand new idea, even though it's been done by farmers for millions of years. Isn't that something? And, you know, your book makes uh, an astounding statement um, that soil can sequester more carbon dioxide than humanity has thus far admitted, emitted. How is that? possible, Josh. Explain that to us. Well, the the numbers, you know, vary in terms of what people agree that we've put into the atmosphere. So on the high end, uh, on the high end, scientists tell us we put about 1,500 gigatons of CO2 into the atmosphere. The vast majority of that was put in before the Industrial Revolution. Before the Industrial Revolution, so before we started burning coal, 
before mm-hmm. we started burning you know, natural gas, before we started burning fossil fuels. That's when we put the majority of CO2 into the atmosphere. Now, it was over a much longer period of time that we did that, human beings. But that begs the question, how did we do that? How did we put so much CO2 into the atmosphere if we weren't burning fossil fuels? And the answer is that CO2, it was stored in two places primarily, in trees and in the soil. And as we cleared the trees to make room for agriculture and we degraded the soil, the soil released the CO2 into the atmosphere. So the big question is, if the CO2, you know, and this is, again, we spend so much time in the environmental movement talking about reducing fossil fuels. We need to Mm -hmm. use solar, we need to use wind. Got it. You know, we all know that now. We've been, we've been banging that drum for 20, 30, 40 years, right? And, and right. even from an economic perspective, that now finally makes sense. Now we need to have a new conversation. This conversation isn't about screwing in a light bulb. It's not about signing up for Solar City, although those aren't bad ideas. Those are good things. <laughs> but we need to move quickly toward a solution. And the simple solution is to put the carbon back where it came from. That is, the, that, is a, that is the entire thesis of Kiss the Ground, the book. Put the carbon back where it came from. And where it came from primarily is the Earth's soils. And so what we don't realize, an acre of soil, if you look out over an acre of soil, you stop your car on the freeway, you get off at a rest area, or you get off at a gas station, look out, look out over that soil. An acre of soil, a ton is equivalent to the thickness of a sheet of paper. So if the wind blows, even for a few minutes, and you see soil blowing, you see dirt blowing in the wind, that is tons of soil that is being stripped away. So imagine the reverse. Every time we strip that soil away, now we lose carbon dioxide and we lose water into the atmosphere. Imagine the reverse. You look out over the soil and you can't see the soil because there's a green, lush, cover crop growing on it. Now, what you don't see is important. You don't see soil blowing in the wind, which means that cover crop is pulling in water, it's pulling in carbon dioxide, and it's putting it into the ground. Done correctly over time, soil can sequester most, if not all, of the CO2 that we've emitted. Let's let's face it, even the fossil fuels came from the ground. They did. in In a big way, all of the CO2 that's up there used to be down there. That's fascinating. Now, okay, in theory, this sounds totally doable, but what is the actual proof that this can be done? Where can we see real-world examples of this type of carbon sequestration? So we are seeing, we are seeing different levels of carbon sequestration in different places, okay? A lot of small-scale organic farms, most small-scale organic farms, have a higher carbon density in their soil than non-organic farms. So we, we've known that for quite some time. But what we're looking for is we're looking for the carbon that goes down through the labile or the sort of movable factions of the soil down into the recalcitrant factions of the soil, the really deep factions. And we are seeing that on regenerative farms. One of the farms that I spend some time on is Gabe Brown's farm in North Dakota. He's a traditional rancher farmer. He's got 5,000 acres. By the way, that's twice the size of the average U.S. farm. So he's farming an area twice the size of the average large farm. 
Wow. And he's increased his soil organic matter, which is 50% carbon. He's increased it from around 1% to around 6%. That may wow. not sound like a lot, but consider every acre that goes from 1% to 2%, that's 25,000 gallons of water per year that that acre is storing. That's wow. an equivalent amount of carbon that that acre is storing. And over time, you know, the French, we talked about the French Minister of Agriculture, and, and when I very first started writing Kiss the Ground, the book that we're talking about, and you can get your copy today, you can get your copy on Amazon, you can get it, every Barnes and Noble in the country will have mm-hmm. Kiss the Ground, the book, on Tuesday. So if you want to support brick and mortar, support your local bookstore, support Barnes and Nobles, go out and get a copy of this book. In fact, get a bunch of copies and give them to your friends. But when it's I started Christmas writing thing. the book... <laughs> The, uh, the, the, the French Minister of Agriculture, that program, four for a thousand, what four for a thousand means, the French Minister of Agriculture explained to me, he is talking about 0.04%. So literally a tiny percent increase in soil carbon can radically reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere because our soils are so vast. They cover 25% of our planet. That's amazing. Now, okay, we've got this North Dakota farmer, rancher, who's doing this. Is he just crazy wealthy, or is this an economically viable model that could be replicated elsewhere? I mean, in terms of money, who will be the winners and who will be the losers if we embrace this? Well, that's, that's the, that is the big question. Who's going to win and who's going to lose? Because ultimately, the, you know, we want to know, why isn't this happening? If this is yeah. so simple, right? That's, the, that's what people always say. Gosh, if this is so easy, why aren't we doing this? Right. Here's, the, here's the simple reality. Gabe Brown is a perfect example because he takes no government subsidies. He takes no government help, even in drought, okay? The government hands out money to farmers, drought assistance, drought, you know, help. That's tax dollars, right? Right. So, Basically, what's happening is farmers like Gabe are actually, he's profitable. He's profitable at the rate of about $100 an acre. To stay in business today, to stay in business, a farmer needs to make about $20 an acre. Now, the problem is most farmers in the U.S. make between 0 and $2 an acre. Oh. Between 0 and $2 an acre. They need to make 20 and they're making between 0 and 2 so the question is, who makes up the difference? Very simple answer. Jill, you and I make up the difference. Yep. Our tax dollars make up that difference. Every That's the year, farm bill. <laughs> yep. Every year, farmers get a tremendous amount of money. And now, this is not against the farmers. Because if there's one thing I learned by writing Kiss the Ground, the book, it's that farmers are awesome. They rock. They're great people <laughs> overall. Okay? That's but true. they're trapped into this weird governmental system where in order to stay in business, they have to plant the crops that the government says they should plant. When they plant those crops, they're going to lose money. They're going to lose money, so they go back to the government to get money. The government gives them money, and along the way, oh, you should use some of this chemical, and you should use some of this ammonium nitrate fertilizer, which is going to run off and kill the life in the Gulf of Mexico, and you should use these big machines that cost a lot of money. Now you have to upgrade them all and get a new loan while you're at it. So... The system that the government has in place puts farmers onto a downward spiral in which they can only lose. Mm. Gabe Brown gave a talk recently. He, he was in Nebraska. 
He said, there were 520, 525 corn farmers in the room. He said, raise your hand if you are profitable today without government subsidies. Raise your hand. 525 corn farmers, Corn Belt, middle of America, one person raised their hand. One person was profitable. And Gabe explains it like this. He says, people are so afraid, including farmers, to jump off of that government teat, to stop getting that money, and, and to not have that security, that they are terrified to make the switch. Remember, average age of a farmer in the U.S. is 65 years old. They're at the wow. end of their careers, not the beginning. So the biggest losers on this you know, treadmill, ultimately the biggest losers are our farmers, which means we're the biggest losers. Our food, our health, our soil, they're all losing. The biggest winners right now in the current model are the chemical companies. They're making billions of dollars a year on chemicals that are not needed, that are in fact destructive. We reverse the model. Who are going to be the big winners? The big winners are going to be local farmers and their towns. Communities across America will come back to life, okay? There's already high-speed Internet across America. I was in Elk City, Nevada, I mean, Elk City, Elk City, Oklahoma, and they had faster Internet in Elk City, Oklahoma than they do in Los Angeles. So <laughs> infrastructure exists for small-town America to work, and small-town agrarian America can work, but we've got to take the yoke off the farmer's back. And then we all it. win. The soil wins, our nutrition wins, our climate wins, and the farmers win. We've got to do this. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, folks, we're going to talk about exactly what you can do as an individual, as a family, as a community, as a neighborhood to get involved with this and make a substantial difference. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you've just joined us, our guest today is Josh Tickell with his brand new book that you just got to pick up. It's called Kiss the Ground, How the Food You Eat Can Reverse Climate Change, Heal Your Body, and Ultimately Save Our World. And now, Josh, it's that wonderful time of the show when we get to talk to our listeners about exactly how they can engage. After they buy the book, they're going to see that there's a great section in the back um, that talks about some of the actions that people can take in order to support this idea of regenerative agriculture. Give us a couple, three tips about things that we could do this week to get involved. Okay, great. As you said, chapter 10 in the book, all about what you can do. And I I try and balance the chapter between what's going to be great for your body and what's going to be great for the soil. And we find out really quickly that it's usually the same thing. So one (laughs) one of the cool things that I talk about in the back of the book is... School lunches and how you can pack a great lunch for your child. And another one is taking your lawn and replacing it with a multi-species cover crop. And I'll give you the highlights from both. I'll do the cover crop first. We took our lawn in California. We, we were getting a brown lawn. Of course, water here is very precious. We replaced that lawn with 16 different species, including clover and green fescue and all of these wonderful green, like lush, lush grass-like things. We put 50,000 worms in, got them on Amazon, <laughs> got to you know, love it, 50,000 worms in the lawn, and boom, now we have a multi-species cover crop that takes one-sixth the water, it's always green, and it's pulling in CO2. So that's the first tip. Get rid of your lawn, plant a multi-species cover crop. The second thing, your kid's lunch, you know, many people have to pack a lunch, whether you have a child or you're packing your own lunch. What we did is we flipped the model of the lunch, and we just started looking at simple things you can do, like instead of a soft drink, a a simple lemon juice with stevia is so much more satisfying. You can make all of the traditional foods, whether it's a PBJ sandwich or whether it's something tasty, you can do it with things like well, PB&J, but choose the organic stuff and research those brands and see what they're doing to restore their soils. Love it. Now, you have a cheat sheet in your kitchen, and I was really fascinated with that. What was on your cheat sheet? Talk to us a little bit about what that cheat sheet entails. Wow, I can tell you really read the book. That is great. <laughs> so my wife and I, we, we created a cheat sheet, we, and we really looked at what do we eat and what do we, what do we eat that we don't need to eat. And I, put the, I actually put, with my wife's permission, the cheat sheet in the book because it includes calories, it includes all of the you know, personal goals that we have for our health. Uh, it's a laminated sheet, and, and what I encourage folks to do is, you know, that sheet is in the book. It, some of the items are very simple. It's like, look, if you're going to go for a sweet, don't go for a cookie. Don't go for a big cinnamon roll or something like that. Go for a piece of chocolate where you can actually research where the chocolate came from, and it's sustaining an ecosystem, even if that's in the Amazon. 
So it, the cheat sheet is, is long. I won't go through everything in it, but it's a great example of what you can do in your house, and it's in the back of the Kiss the Ground book. Yep, that the the whole book is is terrific, and I did read it cover to cover. But that last section is where I got so inspired thinking about all the things that I could do as an individual, and you know, with the people that I influence in my social media um, network to do some simple things that could make a powerful difference. And I especially loved the section in your book that covers a wide variety of initiatives that our listeners could get involved in if they want to advocate for public policy that would support regenerative agriculture at the local, state, and the federal level. And I'd love it if you could discuss maybe one or two of those initiatives that you included in the book. Sure. Well, obviously, the name of the book is Kiss the Ground, but what most people don't realize is the book is part of a larger movement. So it was inspired by the nonprofit organization called Kiss the Ground, and you can see them on online, kisstheground.com. They're on Facebook as well, kisstheground.com. Great organization. You can join that organization. You can donate to that organization. They're looking to build that, strengthen that, get people going in all sorts of different places around the country, around the world. So kisstheground.com, that's the first organization you can join. I mentioned the Four for a Thousand initiative by the French government. That is now an open United Nations initiative. Any business or any city or any state can join the Four for a Thousand initiative. And basically what it is, it's a commitment to rebuild your soil. So that's available online, Four for a Thousand. And there are many, many other great organizations that we list in the back of the book as well. It really is terrific. And, you know, we have a a lot of people who listen to the show who are uh, young people who are looking at, you know, careers that they might uh, that they might enjoy. They're looking at what they should study and what they should do with what little bit of free time and what little bit of money they have after they're paying, you know, for their tuition. Talk to them for just a a minute or two, Josh. Give them some advice in the final moments that we have left in the show. Here's what I'm going to say something radical, okay? (laughs) If you're a young person today or you're looking for a career change, the push right now is to get into coding, okay? To get into coding. But I think coding is going to be a commodity. There are going to be so many people coding, especially in foreign places, China, India, you're going to have literally tens of millions of coders. Do not become a coder unless you are super passionate about it. If you're looking for a career change, get into biology. Biology. Here's what we know about biology. We now have new microscopes that show us that a handful of healthy soil has more organisms than human beings who have ever lived. A teaspoon of healthy soil has more organisms than people who are alive on the planet right now. We understand one one-thousandth of, of what is going on with those microorganisms. Literally one one-thousandth. As our measurement becomes more complicated, we understand less because we see how vast the world is. So everything we do with chemistry today, from making plastics to making shoes to making car bodies to making food, which we chemically create our food more or less today, mm-hmm. tomorrow Absolutely. it's going to be done by harnessing the power of nature, by utilizing biology, and by working with the power that is already here on planet Earth. That is the future. That is a career choice. 
that is that is sage advice, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for joining us on Go Green Radio. You're amazing. Thanks to our listeners for joining as well. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.